This is episode 170 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Search, Rescue, and Recovery Dogs of the Eastern Sierra. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. This is our second episode about the working dogs of the Eastern Sierra, so a different kind of working species today. And the first episode that we did that I will provide a link to in the show notes was about avalanche dogs. And today I want to talk about search and rescue dogs and human remains detection dogs. And I think I have four for you today. And the first two are Takoda and Ayla. And these two dogs live in Mammoth Lakes and work for the Mono County Search and Rescue Team, which operates out of the Sheriff's Department. And their handler, Christina, uh, volunteers with them. And she got started many years ago with her golden retriever, Dakota, as she became interested in search and rescue after she herself got into trouble in the backcountry and, uh, in fact, ended up uh, breaking her back. And so she was quite motivated then to help other people who might get into trouble and who could use dogs to find them wherever they were. And she was interested in the Golden Retrievers because of King, which was a Mammoth Mountain uh, avalanche dog that really got the whole program of avalanche dogs started Uh, for Mammoth and June Mountain. And so she was a big fan of King. And we talk about him in that first episode. And so she said, you know, that really affected her choice of breed and also just that kind of working dog. Uh, So she got Dakota when he was pretty young, uh, less than a year old, and they started training. And she ended up working with him for about five years before she retired him. He retired uh, after she felt as though he was no longer at the top of his game. And she said working dogs retire at about seven or eight years. That's just how it goes. Uh, She had been training with a search dog group out of Nevada, uh, but she was really excited when she found the Mono County group because it meant so much less driving. She said training search and rescue dogs is different than training what they call air scent dogs. She said with an air scent dog, you really don't have any idea where the person that you're looking for is. And so you train the dog to pick up any kind of human scent. Not so with search and rescue. She said those missions are usually launched when you do have some idea of where the person is. And so you can take the dog to that area and then set them loose. She said it takes years to train them, and because she's a working person herself, she could only train on the weekends. She talked about training the dogs when they're puppies, and she said you have to be so careful with them to not scare them when they are little and so easily influenced. So Dakota, unfortunately, had a dog gate 
fall on him when he was a puppy. And she said, he still will freak out if you rattle a gate near him. Those early impressions uh, really last. There's an absolutely terrific photograph of Dakota in the book of Dakota being suspended from a cliff below Christina as she is lifted down into a you know fairly inaccessible area. So he clearly was uh, well trained to do that scary stuff. Uh, but you know it's just a little bit at a time when it comes to training those dogs. She said you especially have to be careful with helicopter training because the the sound of the helicopter and just the whole experience right can can really frighten them. And you also work a lot with reward and their reward toy just as you do for the avalanche dogs that we talked about in the first episode. But she said, you know, sometimes with search and rescue Although it's great to have resolution at the end of the search, it can be, you know, really sad for the family if the person is found deceased, which is not uncommon. And so she said, you just have to be sensitive to do your, you know, your reward party and your celebration that there was a success kind of out of sight of the other people so as not to be insensitive to their loss. She said one time they were called out when some people observed a group of hikers setting off and they appeared to have like no supplies at all. So the people who observed this were worried about them and got in touch with Mono County Search and Rescue and Dakota and Christina took off after these uh, people who were heading off into the wilderness with almost nothing. And then as it turned out, more information came to the fore and it turned out they were ultra lightweight backpacking enthusiast. And so they go extremely fast, right? That's part of their tactic. So Christina laughed. She said, we never would have caught them. Uh, But in any case, you know, it was a lot of fun for the dog. Her second dog, Ayla, is a white Swiss shepherd. Uh, So very different breed. And at the time that I wrote the book a couple of years ago, Ayla was only two. So just going through her early training Christina picked out that breed for a lot of different reasons. She said Dakota, as a golden retriever, was a lot heavier, and so she wanted a lighter dog. A Dakota weighed 85 pounds, whereas Ayla is only, well, she's still heavier than Christina had expected, but she's only 65 pounds. And then Ayla is also white, being a white shepherd, and so that makes her able to tolerate the heat a little better. Dakota would often get overheated with his heavy fur. But because of that color, Christina says that it's easier to spot her in the woods, whereas Dakota, you know, with that brown coat would just kind of meld in wherever he was. She said, you'd just be standing there for five minutes not know where he was. She ended up putting a bell on Dakota in order to keep track of him, but she doesn't have to do that with Ayla. And there's also a really great photograph of Ayla working with the helicopter training in and out of the helicopter. So again, you know, that helps out when the dog is a little bit lighter and some of the heavier dogs, not so great to have them in the helicopter. She said their temperaments are also really different. Dakota, she said, was just so adaptable and easygoing. You know, if if you want to lay around the house, that's great. If you want to go on a mission, that's great too. She said the shepherd's kind of different. She said the shepherd really wants to work and needs activity. Otherwise, it's 
kind of hard to live with them. Uh, so she has this funny comment about she has to take Ayla out in the hallways to play fetch uh, just so she can live with her. But yeah, she's uh, making progress with that dog and uh, hoping that she'll be able to take her out for some uh, big game hunts pretty soon. The next dog that I want to talk about is Journey, who's this beautiful Border Collie. I didn't know very much about Border Collies before I wrote the book, and I've just really fallen in love with them. They just seem like such great dogs, really smart and enthusiastic and hardworking. So Journey has trained as a search and rescue dog, but then she got further training as a human remains recovery dog. So she goes out to find whatever remains there are when someone has gone missing and expired. And so you might think that that's kind of depressing work, but of course the dog doesn't see it that way. She just sees the success at the end of the hunt. You can't quite say the same for her handler. Uh, So Mike, who's her handler, and his wife both work in search recovery And they say, you know, you have to be a little bit careful about how you cope with it psychologically. He said, I try not to think too deeply about it, but sometimes you can't help yourself. Mike and Journey are actually associated with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, so not up in Eastern Sierra. But I included them in the book because they do get uh, contacted by Mono County when there's an incident up there. And that very sadly did happen up here near Bishop. We had a 16-year-old who went missing, and so Mono County put a call out, and the Riverside County Sheriff's Department uh, recommended that Journey and Mike head up there. And so they uh, searched for a while, particularly near some mines, so Mike would walk Journey on her leash along the top of the shafts where the air blows out to see if she, her nose would go up, you know, if she detected something. They didn't find anything. Mike said that the landscape of the Eastern Sierra really astonished him. And if you've been up here, you know what he's talking about. If you haven't been, you probably should check it out because it really is unusual and remarkable. He said, it's a beautiful area, but you have to keep your head screwed on because you have a job to do. He was actually accompanied by what they call a flanker, who's somebody who searches a little bit, but mostly is just there to support the canine unit. And Mike said, it was good to go on the search, but and it's good in a way that we didn't find anything, but when someone's been missing for that long, it's probably not a good sign. And Carly Guzet, the 16-year-old who went missing, no sign of her has ever been recovered. So she's been missing now for several years. Journey is seven years old, and she's been certified every year for the past five years. There's more demand for recovery dogs rather than live search and rescue dogs. Uh, So she got this extra certification. It's kind of interesting that that's the case, right, that the dogs are mostly needed when someone has gone missing and they've been gone so long that probably they're not alive anymore. Journey and Mike have worked all kinds of different disaster areas. The campfire, there's a fantastic photograph of Journey at the campfire that was uh, run by the Washington Post. Really remarkable photo. If you go Google that, you can probably find that photograph. 
They also worked the Santa Barbara mudslides. And then uh, most recently, they began working with the Aguilas del Desierto, where they search for the bodies of immigrants who have died in the desert trying to cross the border. And Mike said, I don't get into the politics of it, but it's very eye-opening. People are being pushed to remote areas to cross. And so sometimes they expire in that effort. Uh, Mike and Journey had recently found the remains of eight people who had died of exposure. But the addition of the dog is very helpful because she can move so much more quickly than a human can because of her remarkable nose. And human remains, even bones, can give off a lot of scent. They also were involved in another kind of grisly story, uh, which was a search that turned into a crime scene when they found some evidence that, were, that was involved in a missing person case. And uh, Journey wore a GPS device for that search so that they could really pinpoint the location of these articles that had been found It was the case of a father who's been charged with torture and murder in the disappearance of his eight-year-old son. You may have seen those headlines, just really horrific, grisly thing. Um, But at that time, they had not found a body. Mike said that they'd been out four times to search, and he said, you know, it's just frustrating because there's no closure in the case. There was another case in Idlewild that affected him quite emotionally. There was an 82-year-old man who had disappeared, and The family thought that he can't have gone very far because he wasn't very secure on the trails. So Mike and Journey went out three times uh, without finding him. And after several weeks, the man's Springer Spaniel appeared back in town. And so Mike and Journey then went out for another search. And the Spaniel, an elderly dog, led them up a paved road up to a water tank, but then seemed to get tired or confused and, and stopped. But they did find the man's body then about a half a mile further up. And the man had died of hypothermia probably on the first night, they speculated. And his dog had stayed with him for weeks, you know, digging holes around him and before finally giving up and heading back to town. Dogs, right? I tell you, they are something else. Mike said, the canines continue to blow me away. Each one teaches me a whole new set of things. He said typically border collies like Journey aren't the preferred breed for search and rescue, but he and his wife really like them, and I can see why. He said they're great once you get them dialed in, but training can be hard, he said. They're really smart, but that can work against you. Journey would sometimes think, oh, I can shortcut that. She was very toy-driven as a puppy, which makes for a good search dog. As an enthusiastic puppy, she once failed a test because she alerted on a hole that had not been spiked with human scent, but that's never happened again. So she's kind of mellowed out and become more mature in uh, in her work. And the handlers use, you know, training aids that come from the coroner's office to reinforce that scent of, of decay. The last two years, Mike and Journey have been working with FEMA, training on rubble, for example, Uh, So they get called out when there are large-scale events that require uh, federal intervention. And Journey used to wear a search dog vest, but she doesn't in disaster work like that because it might get hooked on something and be dangerous for her. She's never been injured in the field, but Mike broke his ankle a few years back when he was out working. It's kind of interesting how that all works. So the Riverside County Sheriff's Office has to approve all their missions 
because they are covering the insurance for them. And when they are out working, his lodging and fuel will be paid for, but Mike says he ends up spending a lot of his own money for training and travel and supplies. And that year in 2014, they had already been in, by March, they had already been on 15 rescue missions, which was a record, they said. Uh, but they were getting more exposure as a team, and they were, so they were getting more call-outs. Mike said that part of the problem is that too many people are spending time in the wilderness without proper preparation, like telling people where they're going or taking appropriate gear or checking the weather he said they've had to rescue people in Idlewild who are out in 30-degree weather in shorts and T-shirts. He said also, if you get lost, just hunker down. He said we might be able to find you if you stop walking. With a lot of unsolved missing person cases like Carly's, he said he tries to put them out of his mind. He said, I'm a very busy person, and sometimes I spend too much time thinking. With Carly, having a daughter myself, imagining not knowing where she is, it would be hard to live with that. Until you have some kind of proof, you can't rest. The last dog that I want to talk about is Buster, who's passed away, unfortunately, but I was really pleased that I could honor his legacy in this book. And his handler, Paul, was a homicide detective with the Mammoth Lakes Police Department for many years. And he wanted to get a dog because he was interested in search and rescue and having a, a, a canine unit. He wasn't going to get a black lab, but that's what his wife wanted. And so her friends were all saying, yeah, you know, you should get that kind of dog that you want. And so Paul found out where there was a litter of labs and went there. And, and the only one left was Buster. Paul said that he was a little bit shy, and so he was an unwanted dog. But now Buster is legendary in the Eastern Sierra and really all over the world because of his human decomposition detection abilities and HDD dog. Paul said, somebody once said, there'll never be another dog like him. And he said, that's true. As the police detective, Paul had gotten involved with the avalanche dogs on Mammoth Mountain. And again, you know, King's legacy shows up here again. So he was, Paul was really amazed at how those avalanche dogs could find someone in the snow so fast, you know, because of their nose, right? And it would take somebody else with a probe line forever to find them. So he decided to train Buster as an avalanche dog at the same time that King was working on the mountain. Uh, so they kind of worked together. There was a first test for Buster was the dogs were given 30 minutes to find two buried victims somewhere on one acre, which you can imagine how big an acre is. Paul said that Buster found them in uh, six minutes. So Buster proved to be a good avalanche dog. And uh, in fact, there's some YouTube videos of him finding a reporter who's been buried under four feet of snow under blizzard conditions. Very impressive. It just goes straight there and starts digging. And then Paul started thinking about dead people. And so he began to train Buster to alert for the scent of the chemicals that are released from human decomposition. He said that that scent can be detected for decades and maybe hundreds of years or maybe even longer after a burial, even when it's deep underground or even under concrete. 
Paul said, finding fresh human remains is like kindergarten, grave work. That's like grad school. His inspiration was because he lives quite close to Death Valley and the home of the Barker Ranch, which was uh, where the Manson family hung out for a long time before they were arrested for Sharon Tate's murder. And there are a lot of clues, kind of testimonials and mysterious missing persons cases that indicate that there might be bodies buried or around somewhere on Barker Ranch. Paul got very interested in that case, and so he and Buster made over 20 trips up there with Buster alerting on uh, multiple areas. They teamed up with two forensic anthropologists from Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and those scientists used various techniques, ground-penetrating radar, magnetometer surveys, and chemical soil analysis, as well as an instrument that was developed for field work, which could detect the presence of those telltale chemicals. It was appropriately called the Labrador Lightweight Analyzer for Buried Remains and Decomposition Odor Recognition. So they combined all that data and sent out the reports to law enforcement, indicating the places where they thought there should be further investigation. And it turned out that was the easy part, along with Deborah Tate, who's Sharon's sister. These folks pushed for action over the next 10 years, but it all got bogged down. Some dogs that were brought there failed to alert in the same areas. There was some digging with no results, and maybe politics intervened. Anyway, eventually the sheriff called it quits, and the U.S. Park Service forbade Paul to keep looking. And he said, you know, in the end, who has the money to go to court and sue them? Eventually, you're done. He said, but I know there are a bunch of bodies up there. One of the forensic anthropologists, Dr. Arpad Voss, invited Buster and Paul to go on a special military missing in action expedition run by History Flight, which is a volunteer nonprofit that searches for MIA soldiers. So the team went off to the island of Tarawa in the South Pacific, and that had been the site of a terrible three-day battle in 1943 in which 1,200 Marines and 4,800 Japanese died. Search efforts there had been suspended in 1948, but it was estimated that there were still 335 American soldiers buried there. The graves eventually were plowed over to make an airstrip. But several times Buster and Dr. Voss went over that area, Buster using his nose and Dr. Voss collecting soil samples that he analyzed for human remains. And using a GIS system, the project organizers overlaid these two sets of data onto aerial photos to figure out what the best places to dig were. And their results resulted in the recovery of over 120 American Marines. And a lot of this was documented in articles and all kinds of media coverage of their work. Paul's work brought them to a particular trench where Buster alerted, and it turned out just that trench contained 35 Marines, including missing Medal of Honor awardee Lieutenant Alexander Bunnyman, which made it the first time in history that a dog had found someone who had received the country's highest award for valor in action. But that wasn't the last of their travels in 2011, also for History Flight that nonprofit, they went to a small town in Belgium where an American Air Corps pilot, Robert Fenstermacher, had crashed in World War II, shot down by friendly fire in the fog of war. 
and he'd been missing for 66 years, and they found his remains, and those were shipped back to the U.S., and he was finally buried in Arlington Cemetery. Buster and Paul also went to the Netherlands and the Ardennes Forest, where the Battle of the Bulge had happened. They walked the beach in Normandy, and Paul was able to visit a monument in Germany that listed his uncle, who had been killed in battle in World War II. Paul said, when I was a kid, World War II was everything, movies, books, everything. Can you imagine what it was like for me to stand there on those actual locations? So it was all because of his dog that he got to take those really interesting trips. He had a lot of different kinds of work. Uh, Some of it is uh, on the Internet and press, and some of it is just in his journals and his own notes. It seems like it makes sense to match a homicide detective with a human remains detection dog. But Paul said it didn't happen before Buster, that Buster was the first. He said in total, the team is credited with finding over 200 bodies through the course of their career together. And even after Buster lost a leg to cancer, he continued uh, to work hard on murder cases all over the country. And these stories, you know, for someone like me, they're just horrific, just serial killers, missing teenage girls and young boys, buried bodies, cold cases, and human depravity. But of course, you wouldn't know it, you know, from watching the videos of Buster working because he's diligent and thorough. He's really delighted when he makes a discovery. And he's just an all-round nice guy of a dog. He's not as eloquent as Paul, who explains their role as spokespeople for the victims. But, you know, he's got a big smile and a wagging tail, so indicates how he feels about his work. And in 2016, Buster and Paul were out playing in the yard here close to Mammoth in Benton, and Buster suddenly keeled over. He he died of a heart attack right, right there, and it broke Paul's heart. But Paul, uh, even though he still misses Buster, he's working with a new dog, Bosco. He was born only a week after uh, Buster died. Paul, you know, is hard at work with the new dog, but when he talks about Buster, he said, he changed my life in ways you can't even imagine. So that's it. That's our four dogs who work in search and rescue and recovery. These were all in my book, Working Dogs of the Eastern Sierra, which featured real working dogs in the Mammoth and Bishop area of uh, California. And it was really an honor to meet those dogs and see how they approach their work. Very inspirational. So a different kind of working species for you today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. 
And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.